Today is Palm Sunday as we read the uh, triumphant entry of Jesus. Hosanna is the king, uh, but also on Passion Sunday, uh, we, we celebrate, we come in contact, we walk into the reality of the cross, though. Uh, the king we celebrate uh, came into Jerusalem, died on a cross. And so today we're going to look at what does that mean for us. John chapter 19, starting in verse uh, 16, we're going to go to verse 22. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest said, of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but write, This man said... I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered them, What I have written, I have written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Last week, we, when we baptized Desmond, of course, our, our, our parents came into town. And uh, I feel like every time my parents come into town, or Rebecca's parents come into town, they bring some of our old stuff with them. I really don't understand what that's about. Every time. And I think, don't you want to keep some of this stuff to remember us by? It's, it's almost like those are the most painful years of our life, and they're trying to cleanse themselves of, uh, of us. And uh, I'm telling you, every time they got something new to bring us. And I don't know, maybe they're trying to do a home gym in our old bedroom. or ah, I'm starting to get hurt by it, frankly. And, and this last time, my, uh, my parents came back. My mom, uh, she brought back, I mean, she had a thick folder full of all of like, my childhood colorings and, and writings and, and different things. And she said, here, that just about broke my heart. And I said, you don't want to keep this stuff? Uh, boy, what is this saying? I mean, you're just having to uh, pretend you never had kids, you know. <laughs> it's kind of hurtful. And she said, oh, I kept some of the stuff you wrote to me about mommy or, you know, I said, oh, okay. Well, in that folder, um, I, I didn't know, we talked about this, I didn't know we actually still had this. But in that folder, I found this piece of paper. And this piece of paper was the first sermon I ever preached 20 years ago. 1998, I was 11 years old. And uh, I was preaching. It was going to be a, a children's Sunday. And uh, I actually remember, I, I, I distinctly remember, I was waiting to go somewhere. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm preaching on Sunday. I better write down some things. So I was waiting. So I sat at my desk in my room. I got my green Crayola marker, right? And I, I sit down and I start writing. I wrote my first sermon. It, it was going to be a children's Sunday. Um, and it's, it was, oh, it was so joyful to actually 
find it in that folder and binder to be able to have it, right? Um, and I was reading it, and I, I do remember preaching, and my mom told me, she's like, you didn't read this, and this is kind of what I still do today. I have, I have a full sermon up there written, um, and I, I need to look at it sometimes, but I try not to read off it too much, but that's what I did that day. I, I kind of free-wheeled and kind of you know, went off the cuff, but kind of used this as a guide. Um, and in fact, I remember up there preaching that it was kind of, this was so short, I kind of got to the end of it. I got through my three points and said, boy, I'm having a good time. I don't want to get down. So I just flipped it over and started preaching some more, you know. <laughs> started going through it twice, right? Uh, but I read it. It's actually, it's pretty good. 11 years old, Green Crayola Market's pretty good. Um, let, me, let me just read the first line or two to you. Uh, I was going to say good morning, but I scratched out the good, and I said, no, I don't want to say good morning. I said... Uh, hello, it's my pleasure to be here talking to you, even if it's for a limited time. <laughs> I, already, I already had a sense of how much time I had, and I'm already burning through it. The first point I'm talking about is love. God loves us more than you can dream. We are God's children. John 3.16 I read that, and uh, I was thinking about Sunday, and, and I was thinking about the sermon today, and I realized it's got to be simple, right? So I'm about 11 years old, I could sit down and write about it, the gospel. Um, and so this morning, as we think about the cross, I really, I, I don't have any tricks. I don't have uh, any sly moves to impress you with. I really just want to have an 11-year-old simple conversation about what happens in the cross, right? Uh, because I, I really think that if this is what we believe, the central theme of our faith, as we've been thinking about this and singing about this morning already, if this is the height of Jesus' ministry and what he came to do on behalf of us, we need to kind of be able to clearly understand it, um, to clearly be able to talk about, to understand, so that we can have an encounter with the cross. Um, th this is, if you think about the cross, it's probably one of the, the most universal symbol in all the world. Thousands and probably millions of people wear this symbol around their neck every day. And it's kind of painfully ironic because this symbol, as we sang about it, is um, it's a symbol of immense suffering. It's a, it's a symbol in the Roman times of uh, the state execution. It's like kind of somebody walking around with an electric chair hanging around their neck, right? It's, it should be shocking to us. We've gotten so accustomed to it. So when we look at the cross, I just want us to have a, a really plain conversation. I am going to get into de more detail maybe you, you've thought about trying to under understand this, because I think for us, as we're not 11 years old anymore, we need to kind of deeply understand it to really come to it in faith. Um, and so I am going to talk about it in some deep ways. We're going to look mainly at the Gospel of John uh, and kind of see what did Jesus say about the cross. Because I think we should listen to what Jesus says about the cross uh, to fully understand what he's doing. But it's going to be simple. I'm going to try to talk slow. Uh, I you know, sometimes I get fired up and I start really going. I'm going to try not to do that today because I really want you to stick with me. Um, I'm also not going to try to use as much church language, right? 
Uh, sometimes we, I, I could talk here and I could use church phrases that most of us would understand, uh, but I think that's not always helpful for especially people outside, but we need to be able to talk about it in everyday language, right? Uh, so just kind of bear with me that this may be different. Uh, it's not what you're used to, but I want to talk slowly and calmly. Uh, but we are going to cover, we're going to go all the way back to Exodus and we're going to end up in Revelation. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of cover the whole Bible, but we'll be out of here as my 11-year-old self knew, limited time. Um, and uh, and I, I'll mention that. We have, we have 25 minutes here, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour, who knows. Um, to understand, really, and we need to say this more, one of the deepest mysteries in the world. While on the one hand, we, we can understand, an 11-year-old can understand it fully, but also, we're talking about God in the flesh, creator of all, coming and suffering and dying. There needs to be something incomprehensible about that. There needs to be such a a deep unfathomability about that, that we need to come to it in awe and humility to say that's more than I can imagine in some sense. Uh, So we we can't cover everything. We can't mind the depths if this is if this is God dying on our behalf, that, that is something we can never fully comprehend. And I hope we can appreciate that this morning. So we'll, we'll try to just take a certain track and, and help us to understand it. But the first thing I kind of want to just say from the outset, and I've actually been saying this for a few weeks, but it's definitely true of the cross. That when we look at the cross, when we think about the cross, what the cross is doing is first and foremost, it's revealing who God is to us it is revealing the, the very nature of God, that Jesus comes to point to the truth, to reveal the Father to us. And if this is the highest point of Jesus' ministry and what he came to do, we have to say that in some, oh, I can't even comprehend it way, that Jesus, when he's suffering and when he's dying on the cross, this is revealing the very nature of God to us. That when I think about God now, when I think about who God is or what God's doing in my life, I have to think about the cross. I have to think about what it means, what it means for me, because that is revealing who God is to me. The cross. We can't get around the cross when we think about who God is because Jesus makes it central in his life. So we're going to come back to this. The cross reveals God to us. It's probably the most clear revelation of God that we have anywhere, what Jesus does for us. Um, and that should shock us because it's an, it's an act of incredible suffering. I, I really want to talk about practice. The cross, Jesus is suffering a painful death by men who are trained in the art of execution. And somehow that very act reveals God to us. Uh, So we're going to think about that. Secondly, and I I can't go beyond my 11-year-old self without saying the second point. It's going to fill everything we need to understand about the cross. But I I knew it as an 11-year-old. We need to know it now through everything. First and foremost, though, what the cross reveals to us. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. The cross reveals to us God's incredible love for you and I, for you and me. My 11-year-old self knew it is more love than we can dream. You can't imagine how much God loves you. But you can get 
a taste of it. You can get a glimpse of how much God loves you when you look at the cross to see what God is willing to do on behalf of you and me. This is what scripture says, John 3, 16. <laughs> the verse we can't get around, I can't get around for, my, for 20 years. For God, what, so loved the world. That's at the heart of what God is doing through Jesus Christ on the cross, that he came out of love for us and he died out of love for us. That he would suffer a shame and humiliation and rejection of everyone because he loved you. Not your neighbor, yes, your neighbor too, but you. And we need to come to a reckoning of that, that God came for us personally. And Jesus wanted to make this the most central thing. John 15, Jesus says this, and he's talking about his own death here. For no one has greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus is already preparing the disciples. He's, he, he's preparing them that when you see me die for you, know that it's no greater love than that. Love is the content. It is the fullness of the cross that we see. And sometimes certain traditions have highlighted different things. We as Wesleyans here, we, as, we highlight first and foremost the defining characteristic of God that is revealed through Jesus is his love. That what later in the epistle of John would say, God is love. So the cross is the living out of that love. The cross is what it looks like for God to love us. What this also means is that the cross is not an accident. It was an intentional act of God to love us and to redeem us. And we're going to talk about what we mean by redemption language in just a, limit, uh, just a way. Um, and so, but you say, okay, but again, we're having a practical conversation. You say, uh, Pastor Andrew, but why? Why does the cross, why, isn't there other ways to love us? Right? That's a fair question. Wouldn't there be other ways for God to love us? Um, and we're going to talk about the main but why. But you may say, Pastor Andrew, couldn't have God just, uh, couldn't he just come and kind of shown himself for who he is and just said, you know, I forgive you. Uh, I want to bring you back into the family. Um, couldn't he have just maybe done a big sign in the sky? Couldn't he have, uh, well, most of his disciples probably wanted him to take the Roman Empire down and set himself up for king and kind of control everything, and then we'd all know that God's in control, right? You've got to think about it like a kind of a relationship, and maybe even a romantic relationship. If you go to someone you love and you force them to love you, if you force yourself on them and say, you have no option to be in this relationship, is that really love? No, Right? For God to love us and for us to return in love to God, that means we have to have a choice, that we have to have an option. And what we're going to talk about the story of humanity is that we've, we've had a choice, and our choice was against God, right? From the very beginning, we said no to God. And so the cross is God coming out of love for us to redeem us, to, basically when I say redeem, to bring us back into the family, to reestablish a relationship with us. But the cross is necessary because it's the way that God can do that while still giving us an option. Any other way 
that God just said, you know, the Jews, they wanted a sign. They said, prove to us that you are God. If he proves to you, then you really have no option, right? There's no aspect of faith. There's no aspect of choice. So when the cross is necessary, but why? Because God is giving us a choice. He's giving you agency. He's giving you freedom. He respects you enough that he wants you to be able to choose to love him or to not love him. Does that make sense? Think about it for a minute. But the bigger but why is because of sin. We say this in the church a lot of times, that Jesus died for our sins, and that's true. What does that mean, though? I, I like to say it, the different preposition, Jesus died because of our sins, right? That Jesus died because of our sins. What we mean by that is the story of humanity is that God created us to be in a relationship with him. He, he created us to steward his creation, to kind of be his representatives on earth, right? Um, to be partners with him so that we would kind of steward creation and uh, we would have this loving relationship with God and we'd have this loving relationship with each other and with creation. But again, he gave us freedom because he loves us. And from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, we said, no thanks, right? I was eating the, we don't, we don't want a relationship with you. We want to do it our own way. We want to be our own taskmasters, right? And that was what we call kind of original sin, the first sin that led us down a bad road. Now, humanity's story entirely is us rejecting God. Even Israel's story, as we look at it, as God keeps on coming back to them, they keep on saying, ah, we like these gods better, or we want to do it our own way, or we want a king. Humanity's story, when we talk about sin, it's rejecting God as God over us. But what happens with that, right, is that when we choose to be our own masters, when we choose to go our own way, we keep going farther and farther in sin. All right, we're talking practical, not church language. What is sin? Sin are those decisions when we don't want to follow God's will and we want to do our own thing, and that creates brokenness and pain and destruction. You know that song, I, I did it my way? My way is always selfish. My way always hurts other people because I'm only seeking to please myself. My way destroys things around me. Maybe not right now or maybe not in five days, but ultimately my way, when humanity wants to be in charge, when we try to do it on our own, we end up breaking things. We end up hurting people and hurting creation and we reject God, right? That's what we mean by sin, brokenness. And so the way sin works is you don't just say, oh, I'm going to sin today, and eh, I'm not going to sin anymore. We can't make that choice. Sin is like an addiction that we, we become under the power of it because we're addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to choosing our own uh, way or doing what we want. We end up hurting others, and we can't free ourselves. And it becomes this cycle, and we begin to hurt one another, and then we begin to get revenge on one another. And this has been the story of humanity from the beginning, right? So when we say that Jesus died for our sins, what we mean is that Jesus came into this world to save us, to, to free us from that power of sin. And, and really what Jesus comes to do, and we think about again in relational terms, Jesus comes to bring us back to God, right? Because God still loves us, even though we said no to him. God doesn't want us to be far off from him. God desires to be in a relationship with us. God wants humanity to be his people. That's God's deepest desire. He loves us, right? So he sent his son, for God so loved the world, 
He sent his son to bring us back into the family. Am I making sense? Am I talking slow enough? I know I, it's, this is my joy of what I'm... God came in Jesus to bring us back in the family and to save us from the power of sin. Because sin was destroying our lives and it was destroying God's creation, right? That's the point. As sin isn't, isn't just a, oh, you broke the rules. Sin is destruction. It, it's the thing that destroys God's creation and destroys our lives. And so God loves us and he doesn't want us to go that way. Slow down, Andrew. Don't get too excited. So he sends Jesus to save us from our sins. And on the one hand, Jesus dies because it is the height of our rejection of God, right? Jesus came in the flesh, God among us, and what did we say? Not just Jewish people, it was just the response of humanity, the response of the Romans, and kind of everyone. No. Well, there was a few, the blind, the poor, the hurting, they often invited Jesus in. But everyone else saying, no, Jesus, we don't want God over us. The crucifixion is kind of the height of humanity's rejection of God. And in some very literal sense, I want us to understand that Jesus dying on the cross, in a literal sense, he is bearing our sins. Because our sins put him there. Our rejection of God is what hangs Jesus on the cross. Does that make sense? I mean, in a literal way, I'm not even talking figuratively. Like, we, they said no to Jesus. We would rather have you die than be Messiah. We'd rather have you, we can't even stand what you're saying to us, so we want you to die. We even chose a criminal over you. It was our rejection of God, and it's not just theirs, it's entire human race's rejection of God. We said, Jesus, we want you to die. And so we hung him on a tree. And so a sense, Jesus had to die because of our sin, because we rejected him. That's what's happening in the cross, is humanity's rejecting him. But he's also bearing our sins, because what does God do in response? Even from the cross, Jesus breathes a prayer of forgiveness. So what's happening in the cross that Jesus is dying for and because of our sins is he's taking all of our sins. He's taking our rejection and he kind of absorbs it. And he says, I forgive you. I, won't, I don't even hold this against you in humanity. And in doing so, the cross, this act of complete rejection, becomes the tool of our reconciliation with God. Because humanity threw our worst at God. We said, we don't want you in... Jesus tells this parable about the vineyard owners. And they finally get their hands on the owner's son. And they say, hey, we'll kill him and we'll own the vineyard, right? That's what we do to Jesus. We say, hey, we got our hands on the son. Let's kill him and we'll be rid of God. We do the worst thing possible. And God comes back and he says, I forgive you. The cross becomes the tool of God's reconciliation that he brings us back into the family. Because we tried our worst. We did our worst. We said no to God. We sinned at the highest point. We killed God in the flesh. And yet he still said, I forgive you. And we're going to talk about Easter, how Easter is the victory of God because he overcomes the power of our sin, evil, and death, absorbs it all, and defeats it. Come back next week, hear about that. But that's what's happening. Jesus is already in the cross, absorbing and defeating the power of sin out of love for us. He 
And in a very personal, this isn't just on a cosmic level, on a very personal, so you can look at the cross and now say that, okay, I haven't personally killed the Son of God. I've done some bad things. Now you can say, it doesn't matter what you've done. The worst thing you've ever done, Christ died and is willing to forgive you. That the King of glory, no matter what you have done, Time and time again, no matter who you are, you can look at the cross and know that God's forgiveness and mercy is real because what he did in the cross, he died for our sins. It's a problem with stepping away from your notes too long. You forget where you're going. Um, and so when we say Jesus died for our sins, sometimes a different uh, traditions and theologians, they've kind of gone in a bad way for it, and they start talking about maybe the devil has power over God, that God has to, to buy the devil out, you know, and that means the devil has a lot of power, really, right? And that, that's not what we believe. That, that gives the devil too much credit, right? No one has power over God. God can do whatever he wants, amen? God is all-powerful, uh, and so no one has power over God to force God's hand. Also, some traditions would want to highlight that Jesus had to die for our sins because God needed a scapegoat. God needed someone to punish on behalf of our sins. We also don't believe that because that would mean that God's wrath and his anger are his defining characteristics. And that's not what we believe. That God doesn't need just a scapegoat. We're going to talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God. Um, but what we believe is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life in order to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it back up again. Do you see how no one has power over God to force the crucifixion on him? Jesus is doing this freely because of our sins, to die for our sins out of love for us, to bring us back into the family. This is the incredible act of God out of love for you so that you can come back to God. So the cross, and it is dying for our sin, becomes the tool of our reconciliation if we accept it, all right? So there's one more thing. Um, one more thing we talk about in the church that's very true that we, I want to highlight, and I think it'll help us really understand what's happening in the cross in a deeper way. Um, and the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, Jesus is... Uh, referred to as the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God. In fact, in Revelation, when John the Revelator sees the great vision of heaven and he sees Jesus seated, seated on the throne, what does he see? He doesn't see a lion. He doesn't see, he sees a lamb. He sees a crucified, slaughtered lamb. So what do we mean by Jesus is the Lamb of God? Um, lambs were used for sacrifices, Lambs, literally, if we talk about it plainly, lambs gave their lives so that others could live, right? Um, and sometimes we misunderstand that. But does anybody know, and shout out the answer if you know, what's the Jewish holiday happening over the, when, during the crucifixion? Passover, Passover. Passover. Um, for those that may not remember or know, Passover uh, was pretty much the first celebration of the Jewish people. What happened in Passover? Let's go back to Exodus. Passover, because we need to understand Passover to understand part of what happens in the cross. 
Passover is the time uh, when the Hebrew people, they were enslaved. They were in bondage in Egypt. And uh, they cried out to God, and God heard the cry. He, God always hears the cry of the oppressed. And God heard his cry, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. And, uh, and so he, he says, you know, he raises up Moses to free the people from the power of Egypt and Pharaoh. And long story short, because it's a, a long and great story, look it up in Exodus. Pharaoh doesn't want to have anything with it, right? He doesn't listen. He says, no, I'm not letting them go. I have absolutely free labor with these people. I'm not going to let them go. So God tries slowly to reveal his power to Pharaoh, say, no, you're going to let these people go one way or the other. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He won't listen. So finally, uh, the last plague that is cast upon Israel, to remember what it is, it is the taking of the firstborn. That Pharaoh was so embattled against God that the angel of death goes through and takes the firstborn. What was the instruction for the people of Israel to do? They were to take a lamb, to sacrifice. And sacrifice really, uh, when they sacrifice it, they're really, it's kind of slaughtering. They'd slaughter and they were eating it. Uh, most of the meat they would eat when they would sacrifice lamb. So they'd sacrifice the lamb. They ate it that night and they would take the blood. They took the blood of the lamb and they wiped it on their doorposts. And that signified them as the people of God. That when they came under the blood of the lamb, that they were under God's protection. And really this act of Passover, um, it, it was the creation of God's people, right? That when they wiped the blood on their doorposts, they were, they were saying, I'm not Egyptian. I'm not of these people. I am of the people of God. So in a real sense, the blood of the lamb created a new people. God's people, and they came under his protection. They became his people under the blood of the lamb. It's not a coincidence that Jesus dies over the Passover. It's not a coincidence that we talk about Jesus as the lamb of God. Why? Because Jesus died. He spilled his blood in order that you and I may become the people of God that we might enter into his kingdom. That Jesus, we talked about him as king, as we see in the text, king and this kingdom, that this is the founding event of the kingdom of God because Jesus is spilling his blood so that not just Jewish people, not just Romans, but that all people all over the world can now come under that blood and become God's people and join in his kingdom that Jesus gave his life to open up the doors wide for all people. This is what Jesus says about himself. And John, he says in John chapter 12, when I am raised up, when I am crucified, then I will draw all people unto myself. That Jesus is the lamb of God because he gives his life just like that Passover lamb thousands of years ago so that we could come under the blood and know that we are invited to be in the people of God. Do you see how this is, the, the Lamb of God is a reconciling act? That it, it is an act that makes sure that Andrew Crimmins knows, that Dennis Korn knows, that Martha Sue knows that they are invited into the people of God, that Jesus spilled his blood so that we would never doubt for a second that God wants us to be a part of his family, to bring us in, that he, would, he, he wants it so badly 
that he would give his life, that he would suffer and die to reconcile us to God. So that's about as plainly as I can say it. But this isn't just an idea. This isn't just something to understand. What I hope we see this morning is that this is, such a, this is a personal event for all of us. That in our lives, we have to come into an encounter with the cross. One way or the other, right? If we avoid it all of our lives, then we're saying no to the, the act of love. This is an act of love and reconciliation and, and, and pleading with us to just come back. You're forgiven. God's desire is for us that we have to either say yes or no. We have to come to a, to a personal encounter with the cross, each and every one of us. I, uh, I kind of think of it like when I was first trying to get Rebecca to date me. And uh, it wasn't going so well at first. Um, she found out I was a younger man. She, she didn't want anything to do with a, a younger man. And so uh, it took a little convincing and in fact, we'd gone on a few dates, and I thought they went really well, but apparently she wasn't that impressed, and uh, I, I was calling her and uh, saying, you know, I think some of you, I've told this story before, so, uh, you know, I said, hey, when can I see you next, right? And she said, oh, and it was, at, we were going to go to a wedding together, and it was like eight weeks away, right? And I said, oh boy, she doesn't like me, you know, she, she doesn't want to be in a relationship with me, right? And, and I was upset. I said, no, I can't wait that long. I, if I wait that long, I'm out the window. Like, my chances are nil, right? So I think of some plan. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And she said, oh, moving into my apartment. She'd moved back to Memphis at this point. And I said, oh, do you need some help moving in, right? I'm in Nashville. She's in Memphis, right? And she said, I guess so, right? And I'll, all she, she just opened the door just that little bit. And what did I do? That very next day, I got in my car and I drove to Memphis and I showed up on her doorstep. I showed up because she had to make a decision right then and there, or at least after I left and went home. I pretty much forced a decision on her. Are you going to love me? Are you going to pursue this relationship with me? Or are you going to say no? How we think of Jesus, not only the cross, but Jesus' entire life. Jesus coming to our town out of love for us, seeking a relationship with us. But yet that forces us to say yes or no. Sometimes we think we can go about our lives and just ignore Jesus and the cross and all that or act like it's no big deal or maybe it didn't happen. And, we just, and if we're apathetic, then we're saying no. We're refusing God's incredible act of love. But if we can come to an encounter with the cross, if we can somehow get a glimpse of what God is doing in the cross on behalf of us, out of love for us to redeem and reconcile us, oh, and if we can simply just say yes, yes, that will change our lives forever. That will bring us back into the family of God that will heal the relationship with God, and it will free us. All we need to do is kind of look at that sign on the cross that says King, Jesus of Nazareth King, and we need to say, I believe that's true. I believe that he is the king. I believe that he is the son of God, and I believe he came out of love for me. 
And then what we do is we just, we say we confess and repent. That's church language. All, all we're saying to do is just tell the truth. I, I've chosen my own way in my past. I've sinned against people. I've sinned against God. Just tell the truth. And then make a decision to say, I want to turn from that, those ways. That's what we mean by repent. Just make a decision. I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to be God's people. I want to come under the blood of the Lamb. I want to be a part of God's family. I want to be free from the power of sin. Confess and repent. And then you just trust. You just look to the cross and you say, I know my sins are forgiven because I know that Christ died out of love for me. That if he's willing to do that and still cry out mercy and forgiveness, I know my sins are forgiven. I know I don't have to labor in guilt and shame any longer. And then we have a new identity, right? No longer our identity isn't just simply who I am or what I do or what I've done in the past and all of that shame and guilt or just nothingness. Now my identity is based on Jesus, on the cross. My identity is based on what God has done on behalf of me. That's the only place my identity is. We love to say that uh, the, foot, the, the land at the cro- foot of the cross is level. They're all equal. Because Christ died for everyone, no matter who you are or where you're from, that you have a place in God's family. That's what the cross represents for all of us. So I hope you've made that personal encounter with the cross. I hope you've made that decision. If not, today would be a great day to do it. Just say yes, accept the gift of God's love that happens in the cross. And then when we say yes, we make that the defining characteristic of our lives, that our lives is based around that, that we, what we do, we say, how we live, we look to the cross. That's what I want to talk about next. For those of us who have had an encounter with the cross, those of us who have come under the blood of the Lamb. Can I just remind us and ask us, is the cross the defining characteristic of our lives? Are we marked, when we walk out of this sanctuary throughout our daily week, are we marked by the blood of the Lamb? See, what, the second part of salvation, what we Nazarenes often talk about, is that we are freed then from the power of sin, We are freed to live as God's people. We are freed from the power of sin so that we can live lives that reflect Christ. Remember what we were created for, what we were just talking about? We were created to be God's people, to reflect him in creation. Now we're free to do that. That's the power of Christ. We are free to live as God wants us to and what we believe is that God wants us to live like Jesus Christ. It's that simple. And we believe that we have the power to do so now that Christ has came, right? That we no longer have to give in to the power of sin. That we no longer have to live like we used to. We have the power and the freedom to do that. Can I ask you, if you're a person that's come under the blood, are you doing that? Are you pursuing that? What I would say in the conversation of today is that the cross then has to be the defining characteristic of our lives too. If it's the defining characteristic of who God is, Hang with me. I know we've, this has been a lot, but this, I, I'm landing the plane right here. If the cross is the defining characteristic of God, it needs to be the defining characteristic of our lives. What I mean by that is, in the cross we see 
God's incredible love, his self-giving love, his sacrificial love. We see his mercy, his forgiveness, his act of reconciliation. These are to be the defining characteristics of our lives. I know there's a, there's a lot of scripture, right? When, I, when I'm trying to make it simple is to say, just look at the cross, and if you can live a life that reflects the cross, if you can live a life that reflects, first of all, God's love, and his mercy, and his forgiveness, and his reconciliation, that if you can give your life out of love for others now, you see how that's the reversal of before? Before we were living for ourselves, and now because of the cross we live for other people? Oh, then you're a, per- you're a person marked by the blood of the Lamb. You are living as God's chosen people, right? Are you doing that? Are you living that? All right. One last thing that brings it all together. We, we did a series on the book of Revelation. It's, it's kind of a, um, a wild book. I, I love it. Last summer. Um, but there's a section that kind of pulls this all together. And I hope you can hear the different themes as I read this passage. It comes out of Revelation chapter 7. Um, and it kind of captures all the themes and all the goals and all the hopes of God that he would have a people, that we would be his people, we would come back into the family of God. So just listen and you'll hear the themes that we've been talking about. Revelation chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 9. After this, I looked. And there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and every tribe and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels, they stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, singing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And then one of the elders asked me, saying, who are those robed in white? Where have they come from? Sir, you are the one that knows, as I replied. And he said to me, they are the ones that have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne, he'll shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will never scorch them. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, from the beginning of creation, 
That has been God's desire for us, that we would be his people. Oh, his people that would be stretched from every language, every tribe, every nation, that all of us would be God's people, would be in relationship with him, and he could be our shepherd, that he could protect us, that he could give us life that would overcome even death itself. And we can have that promise. That is what Jesus came to reconcile us for. Not just 60 years of a good life, but eternal life. Life everlasting. Have you come under the blood of the Lamb? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done to reconcile us to yourself. And I simply pray in these moments as we seek to respond to your grace that each and every one of us would say yes to you. That you would speak to our hearts now. That we wouldn't walk out of here without knowing that we have come into your family. That we have said yes to Christ. And for those of us who have, would you speak to us and encourage us for those who need encouragement, but would you speak to us and show us how we can better follow Christ and reflect you in our lives today? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. As we sing, I wanna just share that our altars are open. Now you can come praying about anything, but especially if, if you feel that you need to make a decision, that you need to kind of have an encounter with a cross, the altar is a great place to do it. You can do it in your seat as well. You can do it at home tonight, kneeling at your bed. But then we would take this moment, just allow God to speak to us, to, for us to encounter the cross personally. And what that means is to encounter God's love, his love that pursues us and wants us to come back to him. So let us pray and sing together. For those gathered here this morning, may our identities be based solely and what you have done on behalf of us in the cross. May we never outgrow the cross. May we never go around the cross. But may we stand at the feet of the cross saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise the King of kings. May we never grow tired of your grace and your mercy. May we never forget your infinite love for us. And may we live lives marked by your blood. That both now and the day that we enter into the life to come, that our lives would be based on the blood of the Lamb. So would you lead us? Would you protect us? Would you guide us? Would you shepherd us now? For those of us who have chosen to be your people, have accepted your free gift. May we follow after you. May we listen to your voice of the shepherd. May you guide us in how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, and how we relate to you, Lord. May we serve you faithfully as your people. And may we experience the joy and the freedom and the grace found as your people. And may we share that with others. May people see your joy and your peace in our lives. May they notice something different from us. And may, when we, they asked about it, we can say, oh, it's because of that old rugged cross. 
my life was changed forever. Lord, I I pray for our church and lift up our church to you that we would be faithful to be a church marked by the blood of the Lamb that in everything we do and we say as we try to reach out to our neighborhood that we would have a vision of the cross, of God's love for this neighborhood and our community and everything we do and we say. Uh, Would you bless our current ministries, Lord, our, our preschool ministry and the recovery groups and the food pantry and our worship ministries and And uh, everything that happens on this property, Lord, may it be glorifying to you and may it draw more people into your family. May we be faithful to represent your people and your kingdom here. Would you be with uh, those who are hurting or struggling today, Lord? We think of Brother Richard in the hospital. Would your hand be upon him? Strengthen his body, we pray. We lift up those who are mourning today, Lord those who have lost a loved one or are about to lose a loved one, we pray for the Daniels family. Would you be with John's dad at this time? Give him strength for the last days of his life. Lord, we lift up those who are are carrying the burdens of sickness and cancer and uh, maybe a fear of cancer, Lord. May you work in their lives to remove the sickness from them and bring healing. For those who are struggling with divisions in their family or or strife in their workplace, or just uh, a fear of other people. May we not give in to that. May we be your forgiving, your merciful, and your reconciling force in the world, Lord. Be in these situations, we pray. We lift up our district superintendent, Greg Mason, to you. May you uh, bless him for his ministry and leadership of us. Give him wisdom and grace. Uh, Be with the churches all around the world that are proclaiming uh, Hosanna in the highest today. May people come to know you. May you bless the church. May we be faithful to your kingdom. Lord, may there not be a day where we don't think of your love and we don't return love back to you. We thank you for all that you have done on behalf of us. Help us to pray that prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? I pray that you would be the people of the new covenant, the people that have come under the blood of the Lamb. May you always know his forgiveness and his mercy and his love for you, and may you go and represent him faithfully to the rest of the world.